welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. In the last week, the Federal Court has heard a case for the extradition of a Sydney nanny back to Chile to face charges of crimes against humanity during the Pinochet dictatorship of 1973 to 1990. Adriana Rivas is accused of kidnapping seven communists during the Pinochet era and is implicated in their torture and murder. Rivas was a part of the infamous Chile National Intelligence Directorate, abbreviated to DINAR. My guest on today's program is Pilar Aguilera. Pilar is 3CR's chairperson, but also the co-founder of a support group for the families of the Chile Disappeared, called the National Campaign for Truth and Justice in Chile, Australia. She joins me to discuss what's happening with the extradition case, and she starts here by telling me what Adriana Rivas is being accused of. She's been charged with seven counts of aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated kidnapping is the active participation in a violent way of someone you know, with the aim to kidnap them and disappear them. That's the legal framework. Now, those seven people, I'm just going to quickly name because I always think it's important not to forget who they are. Reynalda Pereira, who was seven months pregnant at the time of her disappearance, of her kidnapping. Hector Velis, Fernando Ortiz, Horacio Cepeda, Linco Yamberrios, Fernando Navarro and Victor Diaz. Kidnapping charges are common in criminal laws. I'm assuming that making it a crime against humanity has some political motivation to the kidnapping and disappearing. Yes, correct. And that these crimes took place during a time of dictatorship in Chile. These um, seven kidnappings took place on, in December 1976. Um, mostly around the 15th of December. They were particularly violent crimes, but also Adriana Rivas was a member of the DINA, which is the National Directorate of Intelligence. Now, this group was created in 1974, almost a year after the military government took power. And basically, they acted secretly and above the reproach of the law, um, she was a member of an elite squadron called Lautaro Brigade and they worked initially as a bodyguards for the elite members of the military junta um, and then their role changed in, in 75, 74. Their sort of professional brief was to exterminate um, the Communist Party and members of the Communist Party. Now, they all worked within a an extermination centre known as Simon Bolivar. This place wasn't known about publicly till 2006, 2007, and that's because there were no survivors. What's the nature of these crimes against humanity? What happened to the people that she's implicated in kidnapping uh, and disappearing? So I mentioned this place where they all worked, which was called Simon Bolivar, now, um, we, we do think it's important to emphasise the cruelty of the crimes without going into too much detail, but this place was an extermination centre, a torture centre where prisoners were left in 
dungeons in very poor health conditions. They were very brutally tortured. But this place was also known for other things like uh, it was often used to develop advanced killing techniques, for example, the use of sarin gas, the, the use of certain drugs. Um, often prisoners, after they'd been tortured for a long time, would be um, killed by use of um, injection, you know, some drug in an injection. Um, but so they worked in a very systematic way there with not only members of the DINA who were the torturers, but also a team of medical doctors who checked the health condition of prisoners um, to see how long they could withstand torture. So it's unthinkable um, that a place like that existed, but this is one of many in Chile that existed during the time of the dictatorship. However, what's unique about this place was that it was specifically an extermination centre. So if you ended up there, there was no way you were going to survive. Um, and some of the eyewitness stuff that has come out as well was then that once the way that bodies were disposed of was that they were um, tied up and taken by Air Force helicopters and thrown into the ocean. We do know that the case of one of the victims, Fernando Ortiz, um, his remains were found uh, outside an abandoned mine in the outskirts of Santiago, and this was discovered in the early 2000s. Um, his family were quite hopeful that they would get um, his full remains, and sadly they, they identified tiny fragments of bone, very small bones that they were um, left with as, as his remains, but basically bodies were discarded. I was going to ask you about what happened to their bodies um, because often in the cases of the disappeared, there, there is no trace of them. Have many of the bodies been recovered and what was, what was seen when and if those bodies were found? No, unfortunately no. As I mentioned in the case of Fernando Ortiz, his daughter, who I, I spoke to very recently, mentioned that you know they were they were only able to find small fragments of bone and this was forensic anthropologists who were going in there with teams for months and months and months and the families were put through this you know after 30 years of, of looking for their relatives or 20 years at the time months and months of just going there in the hope of finding something eventually they found these these small fragments and held an actual funeral for him. Now that's one case of one family who's had some level of closure, which is not much. But in the cases of other victims, no, there have been no remains. And one of the issues with these cases has been this veil of secrecy and this pact of silence that the military has had. And they don't speak. And so when I say the Simon Bolivar Extermination Centre was only discovered in 2006, this is through some testimony in particular of one person who was known as the little waiter, Jorgelino Vergara, who was summoned to give testimony. And that's a separate story that we won't go into now, but there was a lot of eyewitness accounts that came out. And I have to say that in that group of the Lautaro Brigade that Adriana Rivas was a part of, uh, many of her colleagues have been charged and sentenced with varying years in, within imprisonment time for their crimes and 
participation. Let's put this in a bit of context of the Pinochet regime. So he came to power um, through through a military coup in '73. Tell me about how he came to power and also what his political platform was. So just to backtrack a little bit, Salvador Allende was a Marxist a socialist president who was democratically elected via peaceful means, very important to remember, in elections in the early 70s. So he came to power in 71 and basically uh, there was a lot of US intervention and when I say that a lot, it was a systematic targeted campaign with millions of dollars in funding to destabilise the Allende government. Their coalition was known as the Popular Unity Government and that consistently happened probably from the time of 1970 right up to 73. And there's been a declassification of documents of the CIA that demonstrate this. And those documents were declassified in the 90s. So this has very well, been very well documented, this continued intervention by the US. But when the Pinochet government came to power, it was supposed to be a military junta of I think four military officers, and he then took power. Now, what they did, um, they came to power. They they overthrew the Allende government on September 11 by bombing the presidential palace. And my parents were often remember this and how scary it was, because it was in downtown Santiago, and basically some Hawker Hunter jet planes bombed the presidential palace. Which I mean, if you can imagine. Any such thing in Melbourne would be really horrifying. And right from the word go, the military took power and and started the systematic um, repression in Chile. So what they first did was to dissolve Congress and to end all democratic institutions. Um, the Pinochet government dismantled all of Allende's um, public projects and programs. And what they installed was a free market economy. Chile is very well known for the birth of neoliberalism because it was sort of an economic experiment by various economists known as the Chicago Boys that did things like abolish elections, make strikes and unions illegal, imposing a strict censorship of books, um, changing the school curriculum. They also declared all political parties illegal, basically putting it into any democratic processes in the country. And that was done very early on, very systematically. And just to continue with this economic experiment of the Chicago boys, I mean, it's it's been a, a well-known fact that these, they, they were known as the Chicago boys because there were lots of Chilean economic students who went to study in Chicago under Milton Friedman and created this whole sort of plan of how to make a society, say, financially profitable by destroying all public and social institutions. And the only way that that could work was by severe repression. And and it worked in Chile in terms of numbers. However, Chile to date is one of the most unequal societies in terms of wage and um, poverty. Um, And that hasn't changed post-dictatorship. And of course, because of the way he came to power, communists were a natural target of his repression. Tell me a little bit more about that. There's that interesting sort of little poem that says, you know, first they took the communists and 
you know, I didn't, I didn't react and now they're coming for me. You know, I can't remember the whole poem, but yes, first they targeted the communists. Now remember it was Cold War time, um, and communist was the evil threat. That sort of line of thinking came directly from the US, but there was all sorts of things like, you know, these communists, they're going to eat your babies, they're taking, they're going to take your kids away, they're going to send them to the USSR for training, you'll never see them again. So there was all this propaganda around the evils of communism that was sort of direct, directly linked to that Cold War rhetoric. But um, first, the systematic targeting was the Communist Party and the decimation of the communist leadership. Now, Adriana Rivas, um, the seven victims were leaders in the... They were all directors of the Communist Party, the seven victims that she's implicated in that were disappeared in December 76. Prior to that, in May 1976, the previous leadership of the Communist Party had also been taken. So it was a really systematic, and as I mentioned, the Lautaro Brigade brief was to destroy the Communist Party. A few years later, it was the turn of another organisation known as the MIR, uh, which was a revolutionary, sort of more armed organisation, and then later on the Socialist Party. So they kind of just ticked off, and then it was just anyone who opposes the regime, which was basically everyone. So... Um, it was basically targeting people for thinking differently um, and imposing an extremely brutal um, way of ruling Chile for 17 years. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. On today's show, we look at the extradition case against Adriana Rivas, who is accused of crimes against humanity during the Pinochet dictatorship in Chile. My guest is Pilar Aguilera from the National Campaign for Truth and Justice in Chile, Australia. Well, here we are some three decades after the end of Pinochet's regime. Why has it taken so long for these crimes against humanity to, well, not necessarily come to light because I think they were quite well known even at the time, uh, apart from the detail that you talked about in relation to the extermination centre that you spoke about earlier. But why has it taken so long, for example, for Adriana Rivas to be picked up? I'm going to say basically because of a lack of political will in Chile when the dictatorship ended in 1990, uh, you know, sort of a, a puppet democratic regime was installed and there was no will to change um, any of the basics of, of the way that society had been governed. Chile also continues to have a, a constitution that was written in 1980 by Pinochet and Chile still adheres to that constitution. So it's very difficult to make changes, you know, broad sweeping changes. There's also been a reluctance to look at the past. There were various commissions to look into crimes. They were very, very sort of on the surface in the 90s, very, you know, rubber stamped, you know, let's, let's bring these reports, but nothing was really done. So it's taken a long time and um, I think, you know, legally it's taken a hell of a long time. There's a group within the government in Chile called uh, the Human Rights Commission or the Human Rights Group that 
uh, is made up of a series of lawyers that looks into these crimes. So yes, it has taken a long time. In the case particularly of Adriana Rivas, it's taken a long time because this place wasn't known about and because of that veil of secrecy that the dinner always functioned under. So she was actually, um, just to backtrack on, on her story, she was actually detained in Chile in 2006. So she'd been living in Australia since 1978, probably migrated here with some help from the government. That's unknown. Um, that's purely speculation on my part, but migrated here very easily in 1978. She, as I said, would travel frequently to Chile on holidays to visit her family, and during one of those trips in 2006, she was arrested as soon as she entered the country, and that was because there was a warrant out for her arrest for these seven cases of aggravated kidnapping. She was then charged and put under house arrest pending a trial, and during that time she escaped illegally, left Chile, and that was probably a few years later, and escaped via Argentina, came back to Australia. These things take time. These processes take time. So um, her extradition request to Australia, even though that case was pending from 2006, was only sent to Australia in about 2014. That's the, the, the case that we have now before us. Well, who is leading that case, the, the charge against Rivers in Australia? I mean, if the actual charges originate from a different jurisdiction, what, what's the legal process here in this country? Australia and Chile have an extradition treaty, which they signed in, I think it was 94. This is the first case of an extradition request from Chile to Australia and hopefully an extradition from Australia back to Chile. Uh, but there is a treaty that both countries adhere to. So the first step was for Chile to send the extradition request and then for Australia to accept that extradition request. Now, that took a few years because of legal technicalities where, you know, boxes had to be ticked that hadn't been ticked, etc., etc. Um, but uh, an arrest warrant was issued in December 2008 and Adriana Rivas was arrested in, on the 19th of Feb in 2019. Now, with extradition law, lawyers appointed by the Attorney General's department represent Chile in this case. So, for example, in all the court appearances, there have been two barristers that represent Chile who speak for Chile in this, in this case. And then Adriana Rivas has her own lawyer who speaks for her. And you yourself, Pilar, you're leading a campaign and su support group involving the families of her victims who mostly are still in Chile. Tell, tell us about that. Yes, our group um, formed in 2013 when we heard Adriana Rivas being interviewed on SBS radio. It was the time of 30th anniversary of the coup back then. 30th or 40th, I can't remember. <laughs> My math is terrible. I think it was 40, 40th anniversary. And she was interviewed by SBS radio. Uh, she willingly spoke about her participation in the dinner and spoke about how that time in her life were the happiest years of her life. Um, in that interview, she defended the use of torture. Although 
some of the people in our group, in Chileans in our group in Melbourne, already knew of her because of their connections to human rights groups in Chile. Um, this interview inspired us to get organised and to spring into action. So from there, the, one of the members of our group, Ivan Donato, his father is um, Jaime Donato, who was disappeared in that first round of the Communist Party being taken in May 76. So he's been very, always very much informed about all these human rights cases. All the families are quite close because they've suffered this common thing that has united them. So he knew a lot of the families in, the, in these cases as well, of these seven victims. So we just re-established contact. There's also a lawyer in Sydney called Adriana Navarro who represents the families, seven families legally here. Um, and so she speaks on their behalf. Um, so our group basically, what we did for many years is just behind the scenes work in informing ourselves of extradition law, extradition processes, but also our job is very much to denounce these crimes and so that they're not forgotten. Um, you know, this, this problem of impunity and this problem of letting these things go when they're clearly crimes against humanity, we see our role very much in, in voicing those things so that they're not forgotten and, and giving a voice to the family members because this case means a lot to them. There's been this veil of secrecy with the DNA agents and one of their hopes is that Adriana Rivers will be able to tell them what happened to their family members and we hope that that, that is the case. That will no doubt be an extremely painful conversation for, uh, for the families. Pilar, I, I guess what's next is we're waiting on a decision about the extradition uh, and where to after that? So just to remind people, Adriana Rivers has had four reviews and appeals, all of which have been unsuccessful. This last appeal, which was last Thursday, was before the full bench of the federal court with three judges, all really well versed in extradition law. We're feeling very hopeful. We watched uh, the proceedings live via a, a link, a web link. We're feeling very hopeful that um, they will reject this, this appeal. She still has recourse to appeal again before the High Court, but that's less uh, likely to happen, I'm, I'm hoping. And just to remind people, the things that she, the main, three main areas that she's appealing on is saying, She's not guilty, so therefore she shouldn't be extradited, but um, it's not the job of the Australian courts to determine her guilt. It's that That's the job of the Chilean courts. The job of Australian courts is only to determine whether she is extraditable, and two courts have already deemed her to be extraditable. So this is her having another go at trying not to be extradited. She's also claiming that she's been persecuted for her political beliefs, but... Um, Again, the courts here have determined that that's not the case. She's being um, persecuted for her criminal and violent conduct of past crimes against humanity. So we're hopeful that her appeal will be rejected, but we have to wait at least another three months for that decision. Where to from there? If they decide that she is extraditable, then she gets one last go, and it is the Attorney General who will make the final decision on her extradition. So we will be 
they're giving the Attorney General all the information possible, basically about who she is and about the organisation that she worked for and, and about the crimes that she committed. And the way we do that is by using the voices of the seven families because that's really important for their voices to be heard. There's also a great team of lawyers in Chile that we work with who constantly give us um, information and the work of Adriana Navarro in Sydney. So um, basically we are trying to represent those voices. There are many Chileans in Australia who suffered torture, imprisonment and whose family members have been disappeared. So this case has resonated a lot with our community. There's also been members of our own group, both here in Melbourne and Sydney, who have had to have counselling because this case has definitely triggered some of those past crimes that they have they themselves have suffered. So none of this is to be taken lightly. Um, we really want people to know who this woman is and that she should face trial in Chile, that... Um, these crimes, we can't, you know, move forward as a society without healing these past crimes. Just finally, I want to mention um, there were elections in Chile yesterday. Um, it looks like the far-right candidate is in a majority. There's nothing being decided yet. They'll go to a second round of voting. But it's really crucial for Chile to be, to be able to heal as a country by facing up to these things. That was Pilar Aguilera from the National Campaign for Truth and Justice in Chile, discussing the extradition case against Adriana Rivas, accused of crimes against humanity. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.